Today on Blue 58, the Packers don their throwbacks as the Denver Broncos come to Lambeau Field. What's going to happen in this one? Let's find out. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. This one's a bit of a tricky one, I think, to predict. The Packers are 2-0, but maybe not necessarily as good as their record would have you believe. 2-0 looks pretty good, but there are some holes there. The flip side is true of the Broncos as well. They're 0-2, but maybe not quite so bad as 0-2 might look. The plain narrative is this, though. Matt LaFleur, a rookie head coach, comes in undefeated. Vic Fangio, a much more experienced, but still rookie head coach, doesn't have his win Who's going to break their streak? If you look at our tail of the tape graphic in our post on thepowersweep.com, you start to see some stuff that jumps out. It's a good example, I think, and I write about this in the piece of how teams' records, stats, and their on-field performance actually don't always line up. In fact, more often than not, you need to explain each of those three aspects pretty well. Like I said up top, the Packers are 2-0, but maybe not quite as good in some aspects as you would hope for an undefeated team. The Broncos, the flip side of that, 0-2, but maybe a little bit better. All in all, the the Broncos look pretty good. When you look at the numbers that we track, they're better than the Packers in just about every one, except for one that really, really jumps out. First, Well, I guess two. First, you've got defensive DVOA, where the Packers have just been outstanding so far. They've done a really good job in the raw numbers. The advanced numbers love them. That's where this number comes from. But the number I really want to focus on so far is point differential. The Vikings, or excuse me, the Broncos, the Packers played the Vikings last week. The Broncos have outscored the Packers so far. And they've outgained the Packers on offense as well. But if you look at their point differential, they have a negative one. The Packers have a positive one. When you do these things matters. Timing matters in the NFL. It's not always who you play as much as when you play them. Sometimes it takes a little while to get everything implemented as a first-year head coach. You would think a defensive head coach would be a little bit further along at this point than an offensive one, given that defense sometimes gets into place a little bit faster than the offense. But there are some uh, factors there at play, too, with with the Broncos, some mitigating circumstances, as we explored on this week's podcast with Jeff Essery. The Broncos haven't necessarily been playing with a full deck on defense, so maybe they don't have everything in place that they'd like to so far. And as a result, they've dropped a couple games that they probably could have or should have won. The Packers, meanwhile, don't have everything in place on offense, but they've also gotten really, really excellent performances from their defenses or defense at opportune times. They've held the Bears to three points. They've held the Vikings to just 16 and forced a lot of errors on the part of Kirk Cousins that allowed them to escape with a win as the Vikings were coming back in week two. They took advantage of timing. The Broncos have not been uh, been able to take advantage of timing. If both of these games that each of these two teams played were replayed later in the season, they might have completely different outcomes. I suspect that's what you'll see with the Broncos when they play the Raiders again later this year. What happens with the Packers when they play the Vikings and the Bears again later this season? That'll be interesting as well, and I'm interested especially to see how the Packers do uh, in their second trip through the NFC North. Let's take a look at the quarterbacks. Uh, in our graphic this week, our, our quarterback battle graphic, it looks 
like we've got a bit of a surprising result. But then again, this is uh, more evidence about the importance of putting stats in context. Joe Flacco is 0-2 as a starter, even if quarterback wins are not really something you should pay attention to. But more or less, he has outperformed Aaron Rodgers in all of the stats that we track. He's thrown for more yards. He's been more efficient. He's got a higher QBR. It looks like the Broncos are in pretty good shape with this quarterback they picked up this offseason, where the Packers might be wondering when Aaron Rodgers is going to show up because the numbers have been middle of the pack at best. But there is a key difference here between the two. Yes, Joe Flacco does have some really good efficiency numbers, but none of those numbers stack up to Rodgers at all in the red zone. Rodgers has been superb inside the red zone so far this year. Inside the 20, he has completed seven of eight red zone pass attempt, throwing three touchdowns, no interceptions. His passer rating is 139.6. Joe Flacco, meanwhile, he also has seven completions, but it's taken him 16 attempts to get there. He has not thrown a touchdown in the red zone, and his lone interception came in that part of the field where it is extra costly as well. His passer rating in the red zone is just 64.6. The volume numbers are good. Even the efficiency numbers are good. But when the rubber meets the road, I bet a lot of teams would prefer to have their quarterback be more efficient in the red zone than the rest of the field. And that's where Rodgers still has an edge over Joe Flacco this week. Players to watch. I say players this week because you really can't separate the two players we're going to talk about with the Denver Broncos. It's an odd, odd thing that the Broncos have not recorded a a sack so far this year. And we talked about that with Jeff Essery this week. Check out that podcast if you haven't had a chance to listen to yet because he goes through some of the reasons that the, the Broncos may not have a sack so far this year. The short of it, though, is it's weird, and it's probably a statistical outlier. And if you're betting on two players who could get a sack this week, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb of the Denver Broncos are probably not bad bets. Von Miller has been probably the most productive pass rusher in the NFL since he entered the league. He came in as the second overall pick in 2011. No one in the NFL has been as productive as he has in two key areas. No one has combined the total of more than 95 sacks, he has 98, and more than 195 quarterback hits, he has 196, since 2011. Nobody has put up that much volume. He's been above 10 sacks each and every year, except for one year that was shortened by injury. And even though he's 30 years old now, it's hard to say that he's lost a step. Chubb had 12 sacks as a rookie. And it's tempting to say, yeah, well, he plays across from Von Miller. He should get a lot of sacks. And that probably is true. There is something to that idea. But you can't knock a guy for just doing his best with the opportunities he's had. And the short of it is he's got a great opportunity. And that's the opportunity to play across from Von Miller. It's not his fault. He's playing next to, or not necessarily next to, you know what I mean. It's not his fault. He has to pick up what's left over from Von Miller. And it's not like he's just falling into sacks that Miller all but completes for him and lets him come in like a a dad giving his son a layup and say, here you go, Brad, here's a sack for you. I did it just for you, but I'm going to let you get the stat here. Chubb is doing things on his own, and he's going against a tackle duo that I still have some questions about. Let's talk about David Bakhtiari and Brian Bulaga so far this year. Bulaga first. He's been just about perfect, and he's done it against some high-end pass rushers. 
uh, in the form of Daniil Hunter with the Vikings and Khalil Mack with the with the uh, Bears going back to Week One. He's been just about perfect, and according to our new number, pass and or penalties and sacks or in starter snaps P A S S S, which we haven't fully released yet on the PowerSweep.com, but it's coming. He's been perfect. No penalties, no sacks allowed, according to StatSync. But David Bakhtiari, on the other hand, has not been so good. Uh, He's given up two holding penalties. He's given up a sack. And that puts him on pace to have his worst year in his career. The only other year he's been close to this was back in 2016, where he he gave up uh, quite a bit more sacks than we're used to seeing from him. He gave up three sacks and was penalized Five times that year. That is unusual for David Bakhtiari, and it was even worse in 2015, where he gave up five sacks and was penalized 11 times in just 14 games. He is on pace to put up worse numbers in our normalized metric than either of those two seasons. And when he talks about having a little bit of a back injury coming through practice last week, that's a little bit concerning. Everybody around the team said it was minor, and that's fine. That may be true. But from what I know about back injuries, having unfortunately experienced some in my normal life myself, everybody only tends to say back injuries are minor when they're on somebody else's back. I would be hesitant to call any back injury to an NFL offensive lineman minor, given the wear and tear that they go through on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, on a season-long basis. It'll be interesting to see how Bakhtiari holds up, not just throughout the rest of the season, but into this week against two high-end pass rushers. We can't let this podcast go by with talking about a big narrative that came out of the last time the Packers and Broncos played. Uh, They haven't gotten together since 2015, and you may remember that game as being particularly ugly for the Packers. That year, they were 6-0 coming out of their bye week, and that's hard to remember because of how that 2015 season, I think, just felt as a whole. It felt like a slog. It was not great. Pretty rough down the stretch, rough in the playoffs too. But even after losing Jordy Nelson in the preseason that year, the Packers came out of their bye week 6-0 and and then absolutely face-planted against the Broncos in week 8. Wade Phillips took Aaron Rodgers apart that day. That was probably the worst single game we've seen from Aaron Rodgers. 77 yards on 22 pass attempts. He was sacked three times, hurried throughout the game, gave up a safety, fumbled the ball, It was just domination of one of the great quarterbacks to ever do it. Final score, Broncos 29, Packers 10, and I think the Packers were lucky to get to 10 in that game. But the narrative that comes out of that game is that that's the game that broke Aaron Rodgers. That's where it all started to go south for Aaron Rodgers. And everyone does these statistical comparisons, blah, blah, blah. How good was he before? How good was he afterwards? It's it's kind of persuasive sometimes. And I think there are some mitigating factors that people are not quick to acknowledge. Injuries play a factor here to himself, to others. Uh, there is the fact that he had an MVP caliber 16-game stretch in here that we've talked about before. But prior to this destruction in Denver... Aaron Rodgers was nearly a 66% completion percentage passer. Uh, He had an adjusted yards per attempt figure of 8.81 and a passer rating of 106.5. In 50 career games after that, he's just a 62.6% 
completion percentage passer. His yards per attempt, his adjusted yards per attempt are down to 7.6. His passer rating is down to 96.7. In short, he kind of looks mortal, and it all seems to have started when the Broncos hammered the Packers that day. Now, it could turn around, and there are some encouraging signs coming out of Green Bay, but a lot of people point to that game as when everything started to change. And the numbers make it hard to be, like, really confident about pushing back on it. Again, mitigating circumstances. And I've done quite a bit on this, on this podcast, on the blog, whatever, about stacking the stats to make your argument. But there are some stats out there that make the argument that he started to do, I don't know if you want to say decline, that everything changed in that game pretty persuasive. That said... That has nothing to do with this game because it was four years ago and everything is different now. I think the Packers are going to handle the Broncos on Sunday. They've shown just too much on defense to get rattled by Joe Flacco. They've shown enough on offense that I think that uh, Aaron Rodgers and and everybody on offense can put up enough points to to put this one away. And I I feel pretty confident saying the Packers will probably cover the spread that's been as large as eight and a half points um, around the league you know, purely for entertainment purposes, of course. Uh, I'm predicting the Packers win 27 to 13 because I just don't have that much confidence in Joe Flacco and the the Broncos offense to get things going against the Packers. But even predicting the Packers win, I wouldn't say I'm 100% confident in that prediction. Maybe it's just the specter of Vic Fangio. Maybe it's seeing those two pass rushers they've got. Maybe it's seeing the other underrated aspects of the defense. And maybe I'm just overrating their defense. But there's this nagging doubt in the back of my head that says there's going to be a correction here with the Packers. One-score games, for analytics purposes, are, are treated essentially as ties. It's basically a coin flip, your record in one-score games. And if you outperform... The average in one-score games, people are going to kind of doubt your performance as a team. Well, so far this year, the Packers have played two one-score games, and they've won both of them. But if a couple plays break differently, the Packers could be coming into this game at 0-2. Maybe this is a game where some of those things don't break quite so well for the Packers. Maybe Joe Flacco doesn't try to do what Kirk Cousins does and throw a fadeaway one-footed pass into the corner of the end zone over Kevin King. Maybe the Packers don't have a 21-point first quarter. And maybe things just look a little bit rougher as a result. And who knows? The Packers stumble at home. Having to make a prediction, I don't think that's what ultimately is going to happen. But that's the doubt that's in the back of my mind. The rest of you do not share that doubt. Not even a little bit. This is one of the strongest results we've ever had on whether or not the Packers will win In our weekly Twitter poll, 96% of voters this week said that the Packers are going to win this Sunday. That is easily the highest total of the year. Last week, just 82%. Week before, 71%. You guys are a confident bunch in the Packers. Another 92% of voters um, believe the Packers are going to make the playoffs. That is another pretty confident prediction. 2-0 is a pretty good place to be. I think if, if I had to make a prediction, too, I would say the Packers will make the playoffs this year, but 92% is is an awful lot. 
By and large, people are feeling pretty good about their coaches and front office staff too, but there are some notable exceptions. Let's talk about the good news first. Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin have a lot of fans out there among our poll voters. Matt LaFleur is currently sitting at a 70% approval rating, 22-point increase over week one, and a lot more people have made up their mind about Matt LaFleur than we saw earlier this season. In week one, 51% of voters had a neutral opinion of Matt LaFleur, which I think is pretty fair. But in week three, just 21% do. And most of those people have decided they think what he's doing is pretty good. But that's nothing compared to Mike Pettin, who is the most popular man in Green Bay right now. 97% of voters say they have a positive opinion of Mike Pettin. They approve of what he's doing on defense so far. That's pretty good news for the defensive coordinator. But there are some odd results, too. First, Brian Gutekunst had something unusual happen over the past week. He still has a very high approval rating of 80%, but that's actually a drop from last week. He's down 8%. He was at 88% in week two, but he's down to 80% this week. Now, the Packers made one move this week, trading Trevor Davis, and a corresponding move, uh, claiming Tremont Smith on waivers. But there's also a move that they didn't make. A couple of them, in fact. They did not trade for Minka Fitzpatrick, who goes for a first-round pick, and some other stuff in his move from the Dolphins to the Steelers. And they also, so far, have decided not to trade for Jalen Ramsey. The Packers have been rumored as a destination for both. I would take those rumors with a fairly significant amount of salt. But that does change people's expectations. Whether or not they should, people believe there's a chance that the Packers could trade for one of those two guys. When they don't, that changes people's opinions of the decision makers. And that could be what's happening to Brian Gutekunst this week. Aaron Rodgers as well is at a little bit of a low ebb this week. Just 40% of voters say they approve of his performance so far this season. I think that's a fair result. It hasn't been pretty at times for Aaron Rodgers. But there is a little caveat here too. A lot of voters are in what I would describe as wait and see mode on Aaron Rodgers. 52% of people who responded to our poll said their feelings about Rodgers were neutral. And that is a bit of a change from what people have thought about him so far this season. Last week, he had a lot of neutral voters, too. He was up at 53%. But early on in week one, just 21% of voters thought they, they had a neutral opinion about Aaron Rodgers. I think that's interesting and worth watching. How is that going to move over the rest of the season? One last thing while I've got you here. This is throwback week, and the Packers will be wearing their 1930s, 1940s style throwbacks for Sunday's game. And look, I know I've talked about this before. I know I've talked about it probably more than most people would be interested in talking about it. But we're going to see these things on Sunday, so we might as well talk about it a little bit more. These throwbacks are fine. They're they're fine. They're not great. They're not bad. They're just fine. I just wish that the Packers would have done more with this opportunity. There's more alternate uniforms, throwback uniforms, whatever, in the NFL than ever before. And the Packers have largely played it pretty conservative here. Their color rush uniform was really the absence of color rush. It was all white, which I kind of liked. I thought it was pretty cool. Then it looked relatively nice. If you've got to do this semi-mandatory thing, oh well. If you want to do it conservative, that's probably the best way to do it. Their throwbacks have been 
pretty guarded as well. In fact, we've seen this very throwback set before in the early 90s. This is what the Packers wore, more or less, for their 75th anniversary uniforms. They want to do blue and gold. That's fine. But I wish they would embrace some of the weird stuff. And they could kind of kill two birds with one stone here and do an alternate uniform that's also a throwback uniform that also looks pretty familiar to Packers fans now. I'm talking about a solid green throwback that kind of pays homage to the 1953 Packers. If you're listening to this, there's a mock-up linked in the actual post on thepowersweep.com. I think that would be a lot of fun. It would kind of tick the box for those Color Rush-style uniforms, although that's not mandatory anymore. It would be a fun throwback, and it's from an era of uniform history that the Packers really haven't explored on the field before. I would love to see that. And if they're bound and determined to do the blue and gold throwbacks, you might as well do the ones that the Packers wore just before Vince Lombardi took over in Green Bay. Guys like Vince Lombardi, Ray Nitschke, Paul Horning were wearing those uniforms. Hey, that would be a cool opportunity too. Just use a little bit more imagination than you are right now. Just give it a shot. You never know what can happen. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. And if you want to take your support to the next level, follow us. Give us a, a buck a month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. That does help offset some of our costs in producing this entire operation. Anything that you do, whether it's leaving a comment, reaching out to us someplace, leaving us some money, wherever you would choose to do that, helps us further our mission of making everybody smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink. Thank you for listening to this episode of Blue 58. We'll see you Monday, maybe late Sunday, after what we hope will be another Packers win.